The way I see it, you and me got one motherfucking thing to talk about. One thing. Does he look like a bitch? The D is silent. Clark Kent is how Superman views it. Nah, I don't think so. More like chewed out. I've been chewed out before. Are you gonna bark all day, little doggy? Or are you gonna bite? Welcome to the kickback. My name is Kurt, here with Kelsey as always. And today we are starting our four-part spotlight series on Quentin Tarantino. Are you ready, Kelsey? I'm ready. Four parts, yeah. Uh, so we did a lot of debating and discussing on the, the reasoning behind the four parts and we've come to a consensus on this um do you want to discuss it or talk talk about it or yeah sure so this part is his first three movies mm-hmm. we're gonna do reservoir dogs pulp fiction and jackie brown our next part we're deciding to split kill bill into its own episode just because it's two parts like literally the movie is like like episode one episode two um you know or volume one volume two and so we've decided to make that its own episode for the sake of time as well as just giving the respect due to these movies and kelsey really (laughs) didn't feel like inglorious bastards would fit well in an episode with kill bill so Mm -hmm. well i feel like there's just like just a very um big change there's a very clear obviously shift from Kill Bill into Inglorious Bastards just by time period as well. So then episode three is going to be Inglorious Bastards, Django Unchained, Hatefully, and then we're going to spend one episode talking about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood just because this is his newest, Tarantino's newest film. Yeah. So I guess before we get started, let's talk about <laughs> the man himself, Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> yeah. I feel like he is probably the biggest director since Alfred Hitchcock, Mm. who we did a spotlight on. I know, totally. It it seems like every time he has a movie coming out, it's an event. Yes. It's like marketed as Quentin Tarantino's fifth movie, his eighth movie, his ninth movie. And he said Mm -hmm. he's only doing ten movies. So we only have one left after this. Well, what's funny is uh, I was literally just talking to someone today about about uh, sorry about Alfred Hitchcock, and um, and I was saying like honestly the two do remind me a lot of each other just based on one how they're just like they're just mad geniuses, and then two with just how like they're like they tend to sometimes exploit their actors in in in, in some situations, and I'm not saying that's like good or bad. I'm just saying like. It is like a similarity too, which is kind of funny. Being like, oh, they're also kind of, kind of crazy on their actors sometimes, but they're yeah. also like, like, kind of crazy geniuses as well. But I gotta say, like, we watched a lot of interviews and stuff about him online, and Tarantino? seeing him talk, yeah, he seems like the nicest guy. Like, I'd love to hang out with him. Oh, well, but he's like very. My understanding of him through those interviews, though, is that he's just like so smart. Yeah, it. I feel like he's a professor of film. Totally. Like, his history is working at a film store and, like, watching all the films. And mm-hmm. when that store went out of business, he bought their whole collection of movies. 
Mm-hmm. So he's just like a movie expert. No one would truly. disagree with that. Yeah. Oh gosh, yeah, truly. I think we should also bring up why we're not watching Death Proof. Okay. Tell us. It was your idea. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that movie isn't really considered like part of his catalog. Oh really? Yeah, and it's just so different. I don't know. I haven't seen it. Have you seen it? No, no. I had never even heard of it. Yeah, and I guess maybe for the sake of time, it's just like another movie. Totally. Like, we weren't gonna, like, have some movies be in in these episodes, and then we were like, oh, like, the more, the deeper we got into the rabbit hole, the more we were like, no, we need to watch these movies. Um, I guess Death Proof is the one people know about least. That's true, too. Yeah. No one's like, Tarantino, yeah, I love Death Proof. Like, right. No. So maybe we'll do an episode on that later on. But totally. What was, just... your, uh, what was your first uh, encounter with Tarantino? Uh, I watched Pulp Fiction, maybe like freshman year of high school. Mm-hmm. I thought it was awesome. I loved it. Mm-hmm. I've never had a movie like blow my mind. Like, wow. Like a movie where you're like, oh my gosh, yeah, the, you can do anything. That's awesome. Yeah. And then shortly after that, I was like, I got to watch his first film now. So I, tr- I watched Reservoir Dogs. Mm-hmm. It actually took me a couple tries to watch the whole thing, though. Why? It was, like, late at night. I like, kept falling asleep at the beginning scene. Mm-hmm. I think, like, most high school boys, <laughs> I was like, where's the action? Come on. That's true, yeah. Um, which it definitely dives into <laughs> pretty quickly. Yeah, and I enjoyed that too. And then mm-hmm. from there, I kind of just followed him. I didn't. I never watched Kill Bill until we did this. Yeah. Um, I saw Django in theaters. Okay. Not knowing that it was like a Tarantino film. Yes, totally. So that really like <laughs> blew me away. <laughs> <laughs> I watched it with like a friend and his dad. Funny. Yeah. And then Hateful Eight. I didn't see that in theaters. Right. And then, of course, we saw Once Upon a Time together. Mm-hmm. How about you? What's your history? Yeah, I want to say the first movie I saw was Inglorious Bastards. Not knowing it was a Tarantino movie. Not really knowing the weight of Tarantino. When I would say I'd be watching one of his movies, people would be like, oh, like, those movies are really violent, you know? But I would never, it never really, like, had any weight to it until, um, like, my freshman year of college and I like took a film class and we like had a whole month dedicated to crime or crime uh to violence and um we watched Kill Bill and then I was like oh I understand Tarantino now yeah so that's really cool and I want to say like prior to Kill Bill I had seen Hateful Eight and mm, I want to say that's it yeah no really not a lot and then, um, and then obviously when we started doing this, we like got into the nitty gritty, obviously. Yeah. And that's, you brought up a good point. Like that's something I want to talk about a lot with Once Upon a Time, like watching these movies with the context that Knowing it's a Tarant- Tarantino. Yeah, exactly. Well said. Because I feel like if you don't really know Tarantino and you walked into Once Upon a Time, you're going to be like, what? what is this? Like, what's going on? Yeah, there's a lot I want to say about that. Yeah, but we'll get there. We'll get there. Uh-huh. In four episodes. <laughs> but but similar, I think that Kurt and I have been having a lot of fun with this 
the Spotlight series, specifically because we've been watching these Tarantino movies in order. Like, trying to watch it with fresh eyes. And that has been, oh, so much fun. Like, so much fun to just, like, continue to, like, like understand Tarantino's aesthetic to continue to look out for things like, oh, that was like totally a um, a special effect in the previous movie we yeah, just saw. Yeah. Or like, oh, I'm getting more Western implications in this. Or, oh, no, no, this is more samurai. Or like, oh, and like in finding his style choices that are, you could tell are his favorite, um, which I would say like Western is like, one of his favorites yeah to definitely. mock and uh, homage and pay homage to so I'd, I'd love it like it's such a bummer he's only doing 10 movies because there's so many concepts i think he could really strive with like yeah what if he did like a, a nordic saga <laughs> like <laughs> well, well well having said that like i feel like also I mean, I'm not going to say that the movies we're about to review in this this episode are dated by any means, but there is there is a difference between the violence in Kill Bill versus Django Unchained. You know what I mean? Like I feel like those are movies that are similar in their violence. Ooh. I like, feel like Django and Kill Bill have, like, the blood spurting everywhere. I guess I compare them, though, just because, like, like in Kill Bill, it's just, like, it's, like, ridiculous violence. Like, I just cut off your head with one swipe of the samurai sword. Whereas Django, it's, like, I shoot you and you go flying 20 feet, you know? So it's a little different because you don't have the water fountain effect of blood like you do in Kill Bill. Yeah. Uh, you get a little bit of it, though. Uh, to be discussed like, during that episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll get there when we get there. Mm-hmm. All those questions and more coming up soon. But for <laughs> now, let's start at the very beginning. Yes. Reservoir Dogs. Okay. Came out in 1992. Mm-hmm. First movie was not widely or was not reviewed well. Well, no, it was. Really? Yeah. Yeah, people liked it a lot. <laughs> I... I read the verdict for the most part was like it was too violent. Yeah, like, I think it got people, banned in like I know that the UK or something. It like for a while was one of like um, most notorious films for people walking out on, like because of the air cutoff scene, um, which I just read. And so because I was like trying to think of the question of like because for me Reservoir Dogs was not my favorite. Like, I'm glad I watched it, but, like, that scene with Stuck in the Middle with You, the song playing, and the ear cut off, I was, like, very uneasy for, like, 48 hours, (laughs) at least after that. (laughs) And so I was trying to look up articles on whether or not, like, people believe that that movie's dated. And what I kept seeing was, like, the movie's not dated, the reviews are dated, because they're saying, like, oh, like, Tarantino's too violent, like, what is this? Like, that's what some of the reviews were when it came out. And now, like, looking at that, it's, like, it's, like, laughable. But that's, like, shockingly similar to Psycho, when Psycho came out. That's true. People were, like, oh, my gosh, this is, like, the worst, like, as bad as it could get for, like, violence in movie and, like, blood on screen. Totally. And I think there were, like, other directors that were, like, ooh, that, like, disgusting film Psycho, like... How mm-hmm. awful is that? And now it's like relatively tame. 
Yeah. But you can see the same thing with Reservoir Dogs. Like, wow, that is crazy. But compared to those other movies, it's like pretty tame. <sighs> Besides maybe Jackie Brown. Oh, because Jackie Brown's tame. Yeah, yeah. Totally. But, um... Yeah, well, let's, sorry, not to, like, yeah, jump yeah. in too we're, deep. we're going all over the place acting. How well, like was I, it? I was just trying to give you my, like, my first opinions with Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. Because um, I know you do really like this movie. Yeah, I think it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. I think it's... So, at the end of this review, at the end of all four parts, we're going to rank Tarantino movies based on our, our own opinions. Right. And a little, like little foreshadowing it's like in the lower half for me reservoir dogs yeah like it's still a really good movie on its own but compared to (laughs) everything that there is to come yes but it was like a great starting point for tarantino Mm -hmm. yeah all right let's let's jump into it though acting Mm -hmm. how Mm -hmm. did you think the acting was um i having watched this for the first time in 2019 um like I recognized every actor at the at the table when the movie begins, and that is super cool and just wild to be like Tarantino has worked with some fantastic actors. Like wow, like and it just blows my mind. And so and it's cool, I guess. Like just to like put this little point in, I really appreciate how he like continues to use similar actors. That's a really fun world building. Yeah, that's so fun. How. Which I really like. You can like. see all these actors, like, throughout all of his films. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so, yeah, casting was great. Um, it's fun how Tarantino's, like, a large... He's probably, like, the large... Ah, uh, sorry. Like, Tarantino's in, like, quite a few of his movies in some aspect or another, like, on the screen at some point. And I like that he's, like, <laughs> on the screen the most, kind of, like, in this one, I would say. Like, tied for Pulp Fiction. Um, and so that's funny to see that he's like, my first movie, I'm going to be, like, Mr. Blue? Or uh, I think it is Mr. Blue. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. The colors kind of confusing. mix those names up a little bit. I know. No. Uh, Mr. Brown? He might be Mr. Brown. Oh, he is Mr. Brown. Good job. Oh, yeah. Wow. Well done. Uh, yeah. Okay, let's talk about that first scene, because mm-hmm. we've heard that it's, like, an overture to his entire filmography. Whoa. Just, like, the... Remember that? Uh-huh. That's just so deep to hear out loud. But uh, this is a conversation about tipping and the meaning of a Madonna song. Right. And I think that's super fitting to like start off this movie and the entire discography Why? of Tarantino. I think if most people know him for violence, but if he's known for anything, mm-hmm. it's like writing dialogue. Dialogue, totally. And it really seems like people are actually talking and above all it's entertaining mm-hmm. like i it's hard to find movies that like when people are talking it's like the most exciting part i i think it's more exciting than like all the violence he has on in his movies mm-hmm. this is so good well what are your thoughts yeah i think the fact that it's also steve buscemi's character who's who's giving that monologue just makes it so funny and i think you you said it really well like oh we we read an article about how like one one person like this person who's like discussing like their opinion on this movie they they said that that beginning scene at the diner is like a prologue 
Overture. An overture. Air prologue, yeah. And then um and then it like the next scene with Mr. Oh no. Orange. Thank you. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna struggle the whole way through this with the colors. How Mr. Orange Orange is in the car bleeding out is like episode or like chapter one. Well like you're in it. And I just now thinking about that, like that overture or prologue and that chapter one sets the T for all of his movies like really well like you said and I feel like I now completely understand that having talking about it right now because dialogue is big in Tarantino movies like when people are like oh a new Tarantino movie I bet it's really long because his characters talk so much and I bet it's really violent those are like the two things Mm -hmm. that I would say not necessarily make or break a Tarantino movie but like are huge like stereotypes or aspects to his movies and that's totally how Reservoir Dogs tease up the movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so how about them actors? <laughs> Harvey Keitel, mm-hmm. I think, does a fantastic job in this movie. Same with Steve Buscemi and Tim Roth. He's mm-hmm. probably the best in this movie. Yeah. Um, but I really like Tim Roth's friendship that develops with Harvey Keitel's. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think above all... Like, the acting is really well done. And, like, obviously, because it has fantastic dialogue. Mm-hmm. All written by Mr. Tarantino himself. Mm-hmm. But I think the biggest reason this movie works so well was, like, the casting. You kind of hinted on it before. Like, they're all so perfect for their roles. Mm-hmm. And even though we've seen these characters in tons of other movies, or these actors... They really seem like they're characters in this movie. Totally. And I, I think a big um, plus side of of how Tarantino made these characters so distinct. I mean, yeah, I'm mixing up the colors, but but I know who the actors are. Um, is they're all in the same suits. They have to stick out in some aspect. Yeah. And it's in their it's in their like for lack of a better word, character. Like they're all so unique. You don't mix them up because of like them all being in the same outfit, you know. And there's even like a com, there's like a whole like joke and conversation about the color choices, anyways, you know, which is funny. And I was even gonna say about that first scene as well with the dialogue is it sets up the tone as that Tarantino's like funny, you know, like it's a hard place to categorize his movies because they're like kind of comedy but they're also oh, like yeah. dark you know like it like walks this line i think they're entertaining that's yeah totally like that's what he says in his interviews like i want to like entertain the audience yeah no i know yeah he doesn't want people bored he doesn't want people yeah he like wants to entertain and keep you stimulated which is very clear um yeah but i was just gonna say that like also just tease up his movies really well because like that scene is funny and then we jump into like Tim Roth character like reaching in pain and you're like oh okay yeah <laughs> like these are the three things we're working with here anyways yeah um I just think that I really like how you brought up that it's just a good uh starting point for his movies that's those scenes definitely shall we do with the plot yeah absolutely so we talked about violence and dialogue in his movies mm-hmm. but I think the the other like telltale sign you're watching a Tarantino movie the thing he made really big in cinema is like the structure the out of order like starting at the end and 
than like going to the beginning or having all these different plot lines that converge mm-hmm. in the middle. Mm-hmm. Like a novel. Yes, his movie. I was about to say that. His movies are like a novel. Yeah, and I think this movie does it really well. Mm-hmm. Like on a first watch, it might be a little confusing. You might be like, oh, like what? Like, mm-hmm. what's going on? Like, I want to see this part and this part. Right. But after like continuous viewings, it's that much better. Mm-hmm. It's, and it's like better and better every time. Mm-hmm. Like when you see Mr. Orange like bleeding out in the car. Mm-hmm. You know, like, he's scared for his life, not as a criminal, but as, like, a, a secret agent or right. undercover cop. That's Right, word. a secret agent, <laughs> an FBI agent. KGB, but, <laughs> yeah, I think that's something really fantastic about his movies, mm-hmm. and this one, he does that really well. Mm-hmm. That's, that's really well said. Although, what do you think of the huge... The huge turn to completely tell you all about Mr. Orange. So, like, on first watch, I hated it. I thought it was so boring. That it was, like, spoon-fed to you that he was, like, an undercover cop? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. But then that also, like, has a scene of him, like, learning about that he's going to be an undercover agent. Like, learning the story he's going to tell and rehearsing it and then actually telling it. Mm -hmm. And then you see that fake story like come to life mm-hmm. and i think that is that's peak tarantino it's like one of the best scenes in all of his movies i also super like that scene i really like um watching it's like a montage and it's super fun yeah yeah and and uh but i, I also don't love how it's spoon fed to us yeah I could but see i also don't see other any other way to show that scene and reveal so much about his character. So. Yeah. Anything else with plot? I like how it's not wrapped up in a bow. Like, you don't know, does Steve Buscemi get away with the diamonds? Right. Or wait, who is it that, like, runs out? Steve Buscemi. Yeah. Does he get away? Does, like, do the cops catch him? Because we know they're like, kind of right outside. Right. Yeah, I like that it's not wrapped up in a bow. And I like also that we're not necessarily completely invested in one character. Like, I like how we're kind of watching everyone like, ooh, that person's shady. I don't, I don't, I don't want to keep watching this. Or, oh, what's going to happen with this character? Or, oh, are they friends? Oh, who's the undercover cop? You know, yeah, and yeah. I feel like it's not really about one person, but like collective group, which is obviously revealed very well in, in the beginning but then really carries through i don't think it's like truly about mr orange like he has a larger role towards the end but but not really no, I, yeah, I don't know. Sure. yeah so i i think that's really cool and he kind of breaks like the number one rule of filmmaking like show don't tell okay he like tells and don't doesn't show like you never see what happens in like the diamond store you just hear oh everyone's gosh. perspective of it. Yes. And that makes it all the more exciting. Like, you don't know. Because you never know what happened. Like, really. yeah, what really happened. And you kind of, like, pick up some pieces, but you still never really see, like, where things went wrong. You see them all mm-hmm. reacting to that. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's such a, a unique perspective to take, just because, I don't know, I really like that because it puts us in the shoes of, like, ooh, like, I'm hearing this from so-and-so and this from another person I don't think I trust this individual or i don't think that maybe i trust this person and that's 
that's that's a really fun take, especially since like within the first twenty minutes, Harvey Keitel and Steve Buscemi are like, "There's a rat amongst us," yeah. and you're like, "What? Like, so much is happening! Oh my gosh!" And like, it makes you feel like you're in the thick of it too. And I like the pace. Like immediately, like we're like, "Okay, we're dealing with this." Mm-hmm. And like this, that's a big part of what makes this movie fantastic. I think he perfected this skill of like people telling stories in like kind of a mystery mm-hmm. in the hateful eight. That's why I'm so excited Ooh. to watch it. Uh huh. And yeah, that's going to, as of right now, we haven't watched the hateful eight yet. Like we both like, seen well, it. Yeah, yeah. Before the review. Right. But mm-hmm. yeah, I'm very excited for that movie. Cool. Yeah. I do have to say that, um, like we can obviously discuss this more later, but I feel like you can see Tarantino become more confident in certain styles. Like, well, obviously this is very bold. This is not a safe movie by any means, but but it's fun to watch. Like having finished Django the other night, I'm like, wow, there are some aspects of this movie that I'm like, are very like are very Tarantino that I couldn't have pictured in in Reservoir Dogs. Like Reservoir Dogs, like I I like hated how like um was his face cut off the cop's ear but it didn't even show it it like moves away yeah. and then moves back and in in Inglorious Bastards we see Brad Pitt carve into Christoph Waltz's head the Nazi symbol and so i'm just like wow there have been some changes of course yeah. but uh it's all different also Tantina views himself as like a puppet master of your emotions Oh, totally. And, like, those two scenes you compared, I think they're wildly different. Like, one's the carving in Inglorious Bastards. That's, like, a payoff. Mm-hmm. So, like, you want to get every ounce of that. You want to see, like, him in pain, almost. Ooh, okay. So, like, Tarantino's, like, gifting you that scene. Mm-hmm. But in Reservoir Dogs, he's he's kind of, like, sparing you a little bit. From, like, the grotesque violence Mm -hmm. and, like, the unnecessary torture that's going on. Mm -hmm. So, I think he's more managing emotions than, like, becoming more confident in what he could show. That is really well said that I would have never thought about. Just because, for me, as someone who's, like, squeamish, it, like, warranted the same reaction of, like, looking away. Yeah, you were, like, on Instagram during that scene to, like, oh, in, distract yourself. In Reservoir Dogs, yeah. yeah. I was like, I can't... It made me sick to my stomach. Like, it doesn't surprise me if you walked out because I was like, I don't know if I can watch... Like, I can hear or watch this. Oh, oh, like, oh. You know, I read that Tarantino, he had, like, a pretty big budget for the soundtrack of that movie of Reservoir Dogs. Mm. And he blew all of that money on Stuck in the Middle with You. Because he knew that was like the perfect song. Oh my gosh. Really? Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh yeah. Side comment here. I love the radio host in <laughs> Reservoir Dogs. And now we're going to talk about... Like, <laughs> yeah. 70s on... Oh, I can't do it. <laughs> it. It's like that voice I just did, right? It's like very monotone. Yeah. 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 Um, but wait, similar to that comment... As we shift into style, um, music in Tarantino's music as a, or in Tarantino's Jesus, I'm so <laughs> sorry. In Tarantino's movies as a whole, is like, gosh, like if there's anything 
like obviously never met Tarantino, <laughs> but if yet, yes, if, but... yet, um, like the episode two... four, heads up, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Tarantino host meme review. <laughs> um, two big aspects of of him as a person is his love for movies and music, and that is showcased through every single one of his movies. I would argue, and Kurt and I were watching a video about how his movies are not only just novels, but also um, you know, shaped and styled to, to kind of mimic an album as in a good album <laughs> would, you know, with like rising songs, you know, like falling actions of, of, of low notes and, and sad, sadder songs or things of that nature. And so, and having heard that, it made me have so much more appreciation for Reservoir Dogs and so much more appreciation for Tarantino as well, because I think it's easy for me to at least take Reservoir Dogs at face value because of all the violence and it was hard for me to watch, um, which is why it's not high on my list, but um, as like favorites for, for my personal preference, but um, wow, yeah, music choice, stuck in the middle with you, is not ruined for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Anything else to say about that? No, yeah, you, you nailed it on the head there. Well, because of you. Sorry. And, yeah, he talks... Tarantino has talked about, like, when he wants to make a movie, Mm -hmm. he picks a soundtrack first. Yes, that's right. And he, like, builds around that. Mm -hmm. And that's just so impressive. Totally. Um, Other aspects of style. Oh, well... You got a lot of unique camera angles. Mm -hmm. First thing that comes to mind is, like, the scene of Steve Buscemi, like, running from the cops... And he's like shoving away people, and oh, it's like yeah. it's a little comical, uh-huh. but it's like so intense as well. Mm-hmm. I feel like we see um, like Reservoir Dogs is a hard one to say style. Like obviously, there's a lot in it. But when I think of Tarantino and style, I think of Kill Bill. You know, and I think of I think of the the bright colors, the the shift in yeah, yeah. the shift in styles, um, the costumes. Although the costume choice of having them all in the same suit is really great. Um, but we just see a lot more of the classic Tarantino-esque movies, I would say, like, after this. Definitely. But it sets the tone, obviously, with the violence and just the style choices of, of dialogue and comedy really well. Um, should we jump into the theme? Let's do it. All right. Theme of Reservoir Dogs. Let's just talk themes... And Tarantino in general for a second. Okay. Mm-hmm. Earlier today we were talking about Django. Mm-hmm. And you were like, I really like the racist undertones. And... Is that the Roomba? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So you were talking about the racist undertones. Or like the commentary on oh, race yeah. in uh-huh. Django. Mm-hmm. And I kind of was talking to you about how... Tarantino doesn't write his movies... With, like, a message in mind. Like, mm-hmm. his number one goal is entertainment. Right. And I think that's very obvious in every one of his films. And if something does come out of that, like, great, but it's not his number one goal. Mm-hmm. That being said, I think if we do take something out of it, it's it's true to us, and it's, it's worth talking about. Mm-hmm. So, with Reservoir Dogs... What did you take out of it? Well, I will also say, like, yeah, having having said that, though, like, 
for him to be such a lover of movies and music, I think he's just like if it's if it's true, like he's truly unaware of like the messages he's like conveying in his movies. I do I do think that like like obviously there is placement of of themes and messages just by being a lover of the arts and being a lover of those those unraveling things or, or unraveling movies, I guess, and yeah. just like art and like getting to the center. Like, I mean, we talk about, I know like I'm getting ahead of myself. Sorry. Like Inglorious Bastards and, um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is, a, is rewriting history, you know? And, it, and when we get to that, we'll talk about it more, but it's hard not to see that as an intentional kind of fantasy. Like, Oh, what is, what is Tarantino saying here? You know, it's it's hard not to peel the layers back on that. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, wow, like obviously, like if Tarantino's like, oh yeah, like I had, I didn't know, like, and if that's true, like okay, but I'm also like, oh, I like want to push back on that, just because I think the dialogue is so intelligent in all of his movies that there is like so much commentary beneath this or or beneath yeah beneath the surface i'm like below beneath <laughs> um having said that a the theme of reservoir dogs uh, is a tricky one for me i had a hard time with this what would you what do you want to add yeah i don't know there's like a like the father-son relationship like a father-son like relationship mm-hmm. with mr blue blue and orange Orange. No, he's Mr. White. Yeah. Oh, Mr. Blonde. No, Mr. Blonde's. um, Harvey Keitel. Oh, Harvey Keitel. He's Mr. White. And Tim Roth. Yeah. Yeah, You're right. Like, there's that relationship, but I don't really know, like, what to take out of it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I was just entertained by this movie. Just, like... Just like the hangover, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like, not in the same way, but... Like, I had a good time. And I'll, I'll think about it, and I'm thinking mostly about the plot. Not, like, the lessons I learned while watching this Yeah, movie. I think... Well, I guess, like, one thing that sticks with you is... Is this... I guess, like, speaking to Harvey Keitel and Tim Roth's characters, like... when As a viewer of this movie, for me, you walk a line of wanting them to get away with it, but also wanting the the cop to get his his yeah. justice like bad guys are people too and they have their own lives <laughs> bad guys are people too you know, they're all like criminals in the movie though right and i think that's what's so interesting about this story is you're like you know it's it's just such a maybe there's even like morals in question as well like because tim roth like shoots like an innocent woman and kills her and it's at and it's at just the, you know, at the fault of him being undercover and being shot by her first, you know? And that really takes a toll on him. Like, I mean, it's not super visible, like, after he's shot, but, like, in that moment, he's like, oh, my God, like, I'm in deep. Like, and he's not comfortable with death. And so maybe there are implications with being comfortable with violence and death because this movie has a lot of really uncomfortable aspects to it. Yeah. And the characters show that as well with the aspect of violence. Um, And I guess that goes to say, this is a question I wanted to bring up like later, but I'll just ask it now. 
Um, what do you think Tarantino is trying to say about violence in his movies? <laughs> I, like I keep saying, it's about entertainment. Violence is entertaining to us. We're like morbidly curious about mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. So if we get to watch someone get shot in the belly and like mm-hmm. bleed out, mm-hmm. that's not something we see every day. Mm-hmm. And it's like all the more entertaining to us. Mm-hmm. I He's not... Like he said, like... He's fine with kids watching his movies, and which is like a little out there. But like, the gorier the better, and I mm-hmm. think that's like carried on throughout his movies, mm-hmm. like more and more, mm-hmm. because it's like entertaining. Uh huh. But it isn't without a gruesome aspect to it as well. Yeah, but that's part of the entertainment. Just like horror movies, like being scared, mm-hmm. like actually terrified. Mm hmm. It's like being grossed out. Like you Yeah. Yeah. I think it's like the same reason people watch like pimple popping videos. Mm. <laughs> Stuff like that. <laughs> it's like entertaining. Uh-huh. Like it's like picked an avenue where it's like somewhat mainstream. There's all, there's been violence in movies since movies yes. started. Um one thing I did want to ask you, what are your thoughts on like the lack and I think maybe the complete absence of any females in Reservoir Dogs. Oh, yeah. I, like, um... I'm pretty sure there's not a single line set by a female. I could be wrong. Maybe the waitress Maybe the something. waitress, yeah. but even a comment. Yeah. Okay. So, yes. First, I want to say, to your violence point, I think that while he makes it entertaining, I think he, like, whether it's intentional or not, makes a point that to create violence as a caricature of itself, though. Because it's, it's like, outrageous, like, how much blood there is, you know? And not saying that I see people shot all the time and I would know what that really looks like, but it is a lot. And I think that's how it is more entertaining and also walks that line of grotesque and not, like, speaking to Kill Bill as well as Once Upon a Time in Hollywood where you're like, oh my gosh, like, this is excessive violence, holy moly. But it's, like, a caricature of itself because, yeah, you're right, you don't see that. But And to that... Mm-hmm. Sorry to interrupt you. No, no. I was just going to continue on, yeah. Uh, Tarantino, like, I think he wants you to know you're watching a movie. Yes, I agree. Because in pretty much all his movies besides Reservoir Dogs, at some point there's text on the screen. There's, like, narration. No, there's text on the screen in Reservoir Dogs because they go Mr. Orange and stuff. Oh, really? Yeah. When they're following certain characters, they say Mr. Orange. Oh, Okay. Yeah, but there's, like, the chapters. Like, you know you're watching a movie. Unlike most directors that want you to, like, forget and they want you to, like, fully experience and be inside the movie. Yeah. And I I think it goes back to him wanting to be entertaining. And I think that also goes back to style as well with, with the fantasy elements of some of his movies and being like, wait, this isn't real. And, the, like, the absurd amount of blood. Yes. I'm thinking of, like, Kill Bill and... Oren Ishii like cuts off that guy's head and there's like a fountain of yeah just spurting out and it's just ridiculous like you and you kind of laugh like oh my gosh I'm watching this right now and it's, uh-huh. it's totally crazy. um with regards to yeah completely that was really well said I really like that we've established that like for the rest of the episodes of just like the violence and entertainment I think that's good and then with women I feel like 
coming off of like one of our conversations in the Lion King and how we were like a little frustrated that Nala was all of a sudden like a bigger character and we were like what the heck like this isn't about you and I think in this movie like I'm okay with it it's not about the women in these these men's life it's about this group that happens to be all men and that's okay like like they rarely discuss like like women in any way like nothing is is like talking down to women like i don't have any issue with them i guess they talk about madonna in the beginning right uh uh-huh but yeah but i i guess i was just saying like it's okay for movies to be about like certain groups of like individuals and 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 things of that nature like if this is a group of all male criminals it's a group of all male criminals and so i like am okay with that especially especially having seen other tarantino movies and knowing like that he loves his female characters and, and that's their like feet too <laughs> and their feet <laughs> um like it's very obvious to me like like Uma Thurman's character in Pulp Fiction and Kill Bill has so much agency so, and is so important. Do you hmm? think Reservoir Dogs would have been hurt with like the addition of like a female character in the game? Like, uh, I think it just would have been like, a different this story. This is Mrs. Platinum and she's like our explosives expert. Like, I think it just would have been a different movie. Yeah, it would have been a completely different movie. Nice safe answer there. Good job. <laughs> and on to the next movie. <laughs> no, 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 no. But truly, it like. It's a different movie. Like, we, there's a scene where, like, like you know, uh, Mr. Pink, Mr. Orange, and Harvey Keitel's character, like, all in the car, and they're all, like, gabbing about, like, kind of some weird, like, quote-unquote guy stuff, you know? And it, it just, like, I think it just would be a different movie. I don't say this movie is, like, necessarily, like, overly masculine. I just think, like, it's setting a certain tone, and it did, and it, like accomplished its goals and like if there was a female character it wouldn't have been bad or better it just would be a different movie and i think it kind of speaks to like the norm in our society and like and therefore in movies as well like if you weren't really paying attention i don't think many people would notice that there aren't any women in this movie totally and but if there was a movie with just women Mm mm-hmm I think that'd be the first thing we'd say when talking about that movie. Mm. Like, mm. this movie is Whoa. completely full of women. I Profound. can't think of any movies that are just women. And I feel like if it's, like, female-based, well, a lot of the main plot points are, like, getting a guy. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and I feel like uh, what's so tricky about that in general, just, like, yeah, not even speaking to, like, female, like, dominated movies at all just to speak to just like the culture today is that i think the hardest thing is is that movies are being redone with female casts and then and you're so like the first thing you think about is like oh the female ghostbusters oh the female oceans movie like oh and i think that's like to its benefit and its downfall as well because but if this movie that's all you can think about if this movie was made with all females this year or <laughs> that or, looks so wild i think even if this movie came out this year the Whoa. way it is like an all-men movie mm. i think it would, would be, be like crucified yeah totally It'd be like, what the heck well and also like, they're, they're all, all white, white too yeah <laughs> where's the diversity <laughs> Well, there's even there's even comments about that because because uh, Mr. Orange's un, like undercover friend 
who's helping him is I think that's his black. boss. Yeah. Okay. And and then there's a point in the car where they're they're talking and there's like a racist comment made and Mr. Orange is uncomfortable. Well, no, they're talking about like um, a black like female star. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That's what it is. And it but it does make Mr. Orange uncomfortable. No, I think he like chimes in. He's like, "No, she was from like the movie, not the show." Right, but it's not I didn't I didn't feel like he was I felt about. like they were being degrading. Huh. And that Mr. Orange was like, he was just chiming in because he didn't want to like blow himself or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. Blow his cover. Um, and so, but having said that, I uh, like, I think this movie is like not dated, not dated by any means, yeah. but is a product of the 90s, yeah. mid 90s. <laughs> I think that's another thing with Tarantino's films, or at least like a handful of them. Because he has, like, period pieces, obviously. But the ones that were, like, modern when he made it, mm-hmm. it's not it's not like Captain Marvel, where it's like, this is a 90s movie. Blockbuster! <laughs> Did you know Blockbuster yeah. was in the 90s? <laughs> like, it, they're, in a way, timeless. Yeah. Like... Yes, they exist in this, like, space of Tarantino. And you're not... And it's not, Watching like, the movies, you're never like, what year is it? Like... Yeah. Because you, well said. but because like you don't know and it doesn't really matter. Like they just do their thing. The only thing in Reservoir Dogs is at the end when he pulls out like that mobile cell phone and it's like a brick. And you're like, what is that? Yeah, but other right. than that, like it exists in its own world. Like, I agree. Kind of outside of time a little bit. Mm-hmm. And same with Pulp Fiction. Mm-hmm. Well, Pulp Fiction is like a. Is like a fever dream. Yeah. Speaking of Pulp Fiction, let's move right into it. 1994, Pulp Fiction comes out, and this is Tarantino's breakout film, you might mm-hmm. say. As, if Reservoir Dogs was good, Pulp Fiction was great. Right. right. Well said. Wow. wow. Wow, look at me. Wow, who wrote your dialogue? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, this movie, Karchal was likes to point out to me like that this poster is like probably in like every freshman boy's like dorm room like the picture of uma thurman with the cigarette you yeah know? it's so popular to like it's so popular to like but also yes. <laughs> that's fine with me it's not like queen you know oh gosh no <laughs> queen <laughs> no i just think it's i think it's funny that like like for me going through tarantino's movies for this podcast i like Oh, I freaking love his movies now. And I like feel like I can call myself a fan and feel comfortable with that because I've seen his movies and we're doing a deep dive. But I think it's funny. I don't have any issue with it either. But it's funny when people are like, what's your movie? Pulp Fiction. And you're like, oh, like, wow. <laughs> like when people were saying that, I had I was like, that one movie with the John Travolta meme? Like I had not like really like <laughs> taken a deep dive into the movie. But I also you know? think a lot of people... They're like, Reservoir Dogs is my favorite movie. Oh, what? <laughs> yeah, I've heard that a lot. For me, it's it's Pulp Fiction that people say. They're like, Pulp Fiction's popular and all, but have you seen his first film? That's my favorite. Like, not <laughs> oh, many yeah, people know it? about it. <laughs> it's pretty uh, It's pretty unique. Uh, you know, it's a little like under the radar. <laughs> That's funny. I usually think those people are liars, though. Like, they like Pulp Fiction <laughs> a little more. So if you're one of those people, <laughs> we're calling you out now. No, but... But all, all of a sudden done, I have no issue with people being fans of this movie. Like, yeah. rightly so. Like, this movie, like, as I just said, is, like, 
kind of like a fever dream. Like, like we just applauded Tarantino for kind of like messing up the timeline for having like his movies be like a novel. This, this movie's a novel. Like, oh oh my gosh. And there's just so many characters and so many great actors, great actors. But Kurt, you pointed something out to me like pretty early on when we started to watch these movies for the podcast and you're like, you said that with Pulp Fiction and kind of continuing on that like a lot of his movies feel like a bunch of short films woven together, but with intention, of course. Yeah. And I think that that's very well said for Pulp Fiction specifically. Oh, definitely. And even more in his other movies. Really? I think of like Kill Bill as like very much short films. Mm. And then Once, that's true. Once Upon a Time. That's especially. also very true. Yeah. But Pulp Fiction, I, I feel like, for me, is the most just because you have you have so many different timelines that all start at different places in the movie and mm-hmm. overlap somehow. You know, I mean, we start in the diner. Yeah. And it's so cool. Like, when we were watching that, I was like, Kelsey, like, just off screen, there's, like, Jules and Vincent. Right. Like, eating breakfast. Like, not even in their suits anymore still. Yeah. yeah. They um, had to change. Yeah, and like I said in the beginning, Pulp Fiction is a movie that like blew my mind mm-hmm. and opened up like the world of what filmmaking could be. Like what mm-hmm. the whole scene, like the whole like sex dungeon scene. Oh yeah. Like, oh my gosh, that's so wild. I can't even. <laughs> well, also, I just they, when I first watched that movie, I was like, "This is weird." Upon second watch, I'm like, "What a like fascinating way to make these characters like." in debt to each other and want them to part ways, you know, like, cause like the stakes were high for Bruce Willis. And then all of a sudden you're like, let's take a 180 degree turn yeah. into this weird place. And, but it's not like an adrenaline rush. It, it no, like takes it's just time. like a, I know. And you see Bruce Willis like slowly picking up each weapon. Like, like which one should which I take? Yeah. I know, that's always funny to watch for me. Because you're like, time of the essence, excuse you, like, what is, what's going on? So, like, yeah, this movie is fantastic. I think mm-hmm. it's going to be in, it's like top three of all his films for anyone that's seen all his films. Mm, yeah. Yeah, this movie, like, changed filmmaking, I'd say. This is definitely my top three for him, yeah. Just uh, for personal preference. Yeah. But I think, like, critically as well, it's one of his best movies, Mm -hmm. for sure. I agree, yeah. And, like, just the fact that it came out, like, almost 30 years ago. 20, yeah, 25. I think it's having, it's his 25th anniversary year. Yeah. And people are still watching it all the time. People are still talking about, people are still dressing up as Uma Thurman. Yeah. Shout out to one of our friends. (laughs) (laughs) Like, yeah. And, like, everyone knows about this movie. Mm-hmm. It's it's iconic. I say that all the time on the podcast, but I know we're we're terrible. We clearly are lovers of Tarantino movies. <laughs> um, but you're speaking to the actors um, of this movie. Um, say more about the Tarantino universe and the actors and characters of this movie. Like how the universe works is or that i guess you're asking? Like, or like who john travolta is is like what i'm teeing you up oh for. gotcha <laughs> <laughs> thanks for the help <laughs> sorry i went off script <laughs> uh yeah john travolta plays vincent vega 
who is Mr. Blonde's brother. Mm-hmm. They're like brothers. Right. Yeah. I think that's the only real connection. Though. I know. Yeah. And there's like a theory that what's in the briefcase is like the diamonds from Reservoir Dogs. But, but Tarantino has never disclosed what's in the briefcase. He says case. no. He says, yeah. like, that's the point. That you don't know. That you don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, yeah, all the actors are fantastic. And I love that this is, like, the first movie with uh, Samuel L. Jackson. And it's oh. really what kind of, like, catapulted him to being, like, the mega person he is now. And, and what's funny is, yes, that's so true. And also watching this again, uh, having, I mean, this has been, like, Samuel L. Jackson year, like... I mean, we saw Captain Marvel, we saw Avengers, you know, we saw, obviously just went through the Tarantino movies, so we've seen so many, so many, so much of Samuel L. Jackson, but I feel like what's funny is, like, while, yes, he's a great actor, I feel like he's always playing, like, uh, like a version of himself. Yeah, well, that's You know, like- in, in, a, in a good way, that's not a negative, like, comment on him, him by any means. Yeah, but no. What 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 did you have to say about that? Well, Why I don't think hesitate? he's. I don't think he's really like a loud, bad mouth person in real life. Like, but I, I think he's being an actor. Oh, <laughs> the, well, but like that's fair. But he I, acts like the same kinds of characters usually. Yeah, but I don't mean that in a negative way. No, like no, I, not, I think about like his his attitude in oh Spider Man Far From Home. That was what he was in recently. We saw too, um, <laughs> the Marvel movies. Um, <laughs> Like, I think about how much tood, like, Nick Fury has, like, attitude, and then I think about this movie, about how, like, yeah, he, like, he's, like, I, I run this place, you know, and, and it's, even, it's, it's very similar. In, even obviously. Jackie Brown, he's the same character. Oh, my gosh, really. he's in charge of the show. Oh, well, he's kind of the same character. Yeah. Um, and John Travolta, he does fantastic. And now we're starting to see characters reappear. We see Harvey Keitel. We see Tarantino in it again as a character. Yeah, we I, see Tim Roth. I, I think this is my favorite Tarantino cameo. Me too. He's so funny. He's so funny. Oh, that's, my, that's my wife's. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I know the coffee's good. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, Uma Thurman. Uma Thurman. First I think, time we see her. But like, you see her and you're like, yeah, she was good. And then you see Kill Bill, and you're like, oh my gosh, she's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, who else have we got in this? I, Bruce I, Willis. Oh yeah, duh, Bruce Willis. Oh, who's who's the who's the boss of Bruce Willis? Oh, oh gosh. my gosh, what the heck is his name? Oh, but one thing I was going to... Marcel, <laughs> Marcel Wallace. Marcel Wallace? Yeah, it's Bing Rames. Say it again? His, like, his real name is Bing Rames. Oh, okay. He's famous. He's in a lot, yeah. Yeah, he's he's, he's famous. He's a he's one of the famous people. Um, he's in Mission the Mission Impossible. Movies. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I was gonna say like, well, Uma Thurman's not really in this movie. I like seeing her for the first time here because she's Marcellus Wallace's wife, and that's like kind of her title. But she is like more dynamic and like has more depth to her character than. Marcellus Wallace does. Yeah, and they're never seen together, too. And they're never... They are at one point. Yes, they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. When... Oh, there is a scene. Okay, anyways, it doesn't matter. But, um... And I just think that's, like, a really, like, clever twist on, like, oh, like, she's just the wife. Like, like, what the heck? That's not very much their character. And that's how people kind of treat her until they meet her. And she's, like very interesting like yeah. like 
I just think about the whole $5 shake scene, you know, with, with John Travolta. Like, that, you can't replicate that scene, you know? Like, with the dancing yeah, and stuff. Yeah, the dancing's fantastic. What did you tell me about the dancing? Oh, he, like, wanted them to dance like the Aristocat cats. Yep, that was it. That's awesome. I think, yeah. And he, like, gave them a bunch of songs to listen to to, like, prepare for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just so clever. And, like, you could see his love of movies a little more in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, Say more. How, like, they go to the... That restaurant is, like, all movie-themed. Like Totally, yeah. Good point. And I think, like, Jackie Brown, you see his love of music a lot more. Like, it's a big plot point. Like, mm-hmm. what songs they play. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's really fun to see. Like... Mm-hmm. You could tell he loves what he does. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you have any more thoughts on the acting, though? No, I mean, we've started to dip into plot and all the timelines. Yeah, I think this structure is, like, perfected. Mm-hmm. But just, it's so seamless how everything fits together, even mm-hmm. though it's all out of order. Totally. And I think this is also, I think something that I really love about Tarantino movies is that every single one... I can truthfully say that, like, upon second, third watch, you continue to enjoy it perhaps more. Like, yeah. like there are some aspects to watching a movie for a first time that you can't ever get back. But there are also really fun aspects of Tarantino's movies where watching Pulp Fiction again, I'm like, oh, yeah, this happens. Or, oh, my gosh, this is this is actually after this happens or, or whatever. And, and being excited about that. Um, and that's, that's, that's really fun. And... The dialogue, again, is, like, the perfection of that first scene of Reservoir Dogs. Mm-hmm. It's, like, extended to the whole movie of Pulp Fiction. Like, the whole conversation about um, a Royale with cheese and, like, the $5 shake scene. Yeah. I Yeah, I especially love the whole, like, crisis Samuel Jackson's character goes through when he's, like... Like, that guy could have shot me. Like, and he's like, I gotta rethink my life. Or, like, what I just said up there about, like, that that scripture from the Bible that doesn't actually exist or whatever. Um, and, yeah, and I think that there's just so many, like, wow, this is, like, <laughs> this is really interesting. It's so good. Mm-hmm. And then, again, the casting is fantastic. I can't imagine it with anyone else. Like, Bruce Willis. I mean, these characters are the actors like they're so like cemented into our knowledge of this movie like you can't replace them yeah you truly can other things with the plot i think again here you see tarantino like being the puppet of our puppet master of our emotions Mm -hmm. especially with like bruce willis and the stakes are high like you just said Mm -hmm. yeah and then there's that 180 he wants to like you're invested and then all of a sudden there's like a left Mm-hmm. A left turn. And mm-hmm. it's so it's so fun to watch. Totally. And I think it's fun to uh, to be talking about this movie, like, after Reservoir Dogs, because you see how he, like, continues to look into uh, gangster movies, if you will, or, or something of that nature, you know, where, where I'm just thinking about how, like, the shift into Kill Bill after Jackie Brown is, like, drastic, like, of a difference in style. Just, well, you know, just based on, like, it's a samurai movie, you know? And I think Jackie Brown still is, like, walking a line of, like, a gangster's not the right word, but, um, yeah, I don't know, of, of, 
being in tight situations with with people who have influence. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to speak to like what do you want to call these first three? Like the Renaissance. Oh, so I made a comment like off mic <laughs> before we started recording. That like, cause you know how in, in like Disney movies, there's like a renaissance, like quote unquote renaissance period of Disney movies where there's like this period of time where like they were just pumping out like these amazing films and like there's like prior to the renaissance, there's like bad movie or I don't don't know. They call them different periods. And so I want to call in lieu of that, not related to whether or not they're bad or good, but I want to call, um, Reservoir Dogs through Kill Bill, like a certain, like, like tarantino's renaissance period because he's like establishing establishing himself i'm not saying like there's any weight behind that term to use i'm just saying like these movies are within a period of time in his life like okay night like we talk about reservoir dogs 1992 pulp fiction 94 jackie brown 97 you know like they're pumping out and then you have kill bill which is oh three so i guess that's like six years a little bit different but um so i want to call them like i want to like well we're spacing that up them up that way for the podcast which i think is good but i also want like i don't necessarily want to put a term to it but i was like no like you have to separate them this way because like like this is the renaissance this is the beginning <laughs> this is the whatever yeah, i don't know you can call them whatever you want but what i wanted to talk about <laughs> oh sorry i was trying to articulate my thoughts <laughs> no yeah. you're fine <laughs> i sure we could call them the renaissance ones i like that that sounds good uh-huh. Patented by the kickback. There we go. <laughs> um, I think these first three movies, mm-hmm. like, they're they're a little lighter than his next movies. Mm. They're not as dark. Like you, sure you get like the ear cutting off scene, and you get like in Jackie Brown, like a few people die. <laughs> oh gosh, yeah they do. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'm but like, really? None of them are like brutal deaths, and then like in. Pulp Fiction, yeah, like, a few people die, and there's, like, a sex dungeon. Mm-hmm. But, like, there's still, like, a little bit of lightheartedness in it. Mm-hmm. And it gets way darker in the next ones. Like, Inglorious Bastards makes me feel sick watching it. Cause really? Of, like, how dark a lot of it is. Wow. Um, same with Django. Django is well, so Django's dark. Well, Django's nuts, yeah. Even in Kill Bill, like, when she wakes up from the coma, she finds out that she's been raped like all the time yeah for four years well that movie is just brutal in general like, like that plot that storyline is it just gets, really it gets messed so up so dark and they're still great movies but i think it makes these movies a little more fun to watch like mm-hmm. oh they shot his head off like it's a kind of a comedic moment mm-hmm. as terrible as it might be to say but mm-hmm. yeah that's that's one thing i like about the renaissance that's wow! I'm, not... I'm glad we patented this. This is so, this is so <laughs> the real. Renaissance, yeah. The '90s Tarantino. '90s Tarantino is a little soft, lighthearted. He takes like, some time with Kill Bill and then really just punches us in the gut with that story. But I would say that Once Upon a Time kind of fits into this category. The Renaissance, like, really. yeah, obviously, like timeline wise, no, but <laughs> in like the lightheartedness, like. Well, let's... Uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. We'll get there. Karch is getting three episodes <laughs> I ahead. Know. Yeah, whoa. I'm so sorry. That's but, something I want to... Let's keep that in mind moving forward, because I think that's uh, really well articulated on your part how 
how these movies are separated. And I, I was trying to allude to that as well by comparing them by like, these three are very like, I struggle to find a better word, but gangster-ish aspect. And then you have Samurai, Kill Bill Part 1 and 2. And then you have Western, like, aspects to Inglourious Bastards, 100% Django, 100% Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. We'll have and to- Hateful Eight. Oh, oh my gosh. Well, sorry, we haven't brought that up a lot. That's also very Western, absolutely. And by Western, I mean, like, gunslingers. I mean, yeah, like, yeah. depicting- characters in the light of the, the savior coming down from the mountain like but hateful eight <clears throat> well getting ahead of yourself i think again. it's more of like a murder mystery like that's less a western even though it's like well the most western let's movie. wait till we get there <laughs> okay no no we'll i'm there. just messing with you i'm just trying it's hard because like the way that we paired them up for the podcast i want so hard to categorize them but i think but they're all but they're they're all their own movie they're but, all so unique like calling this a renaissance i like they're all like it's like the most realistic of his movies mm-hmm. and i think like our next section on kill bill mm-hmm. and maybe death proof now i want to watch death proof <laughs> is like the like most outlandish like stylistic that's true and then like then you have like the time period pieces mm. Mm, period pieces yeah wow, that was eh, that was smarter he, he paid more money <laughs> <laughs> um all right back to pulp fiction let's mm-hmm. finish this one up so we can get the jackie brown well style music is mm-hmm. very well done um first thing that comes to mind when i think of this movie is when uma thurman like clicks play on the radio right before she overdoses mm-hmm like that scene is so good. What song is playing? Uh, you'll be a woman soon, uh, girl. You'll, you'll be, be a woman. woman. Yeah, yeah. And like the whole dance scene. Mm-hmm. Um, like there's such he portrays like the manic of John Travolta trying to save her life so well, and you like you understand why he's so scared. And this movie really sets up situations really well, like. We take our time with John Travolta trying to buy the heroin. You know, like, we're just, like, following along. We're like, oh, okay, like, nothing wrong here. But the heroin is, like, a, it's like a, a gun about to go off. You yeah. know what I mean? And, and there are other aspects of this movie as well where, you know, like, there's the imminent threat of Bruce Willis not doing what he's told in the fight. And, and we see that in a previous scene. And then, like, an hour later, we see him not do what he's told and then run into Ving Rhames, you know? And, and, and the see. importance of the watch, it's like a whole scene. Oh my gosh, Christopher totally. Walken. What? Christopher Walken? Yeah, he's on Oh my the, gosh! Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> um, and I think that that movie is great at suspending suspense just by the way it's, it's um, you know, like, um, just by the way it's portrayed plot-wise and then style, we like see the switching around of the timeline and yet we still see things that are like oh yeah wow this watch was mentioned right here 45 minutes later oh it's a big deal like and i think that's really well done or even just like like with marcellus wallace and how like there's that rumor that we hear in the beginning of the movie about like him throwing someone out the window yeah and then he ends up taking like john travolta takes care of the wife you know and that's like a huge build-up and it pays off because they have a conversation about it you know and it's well done good movie. All around. good movie theme theme 
I don't know. Life is crazy. <laughs> Anything could happen. That's a hard one. Uh, this is a little meta, but like the thing with themes, you can like slap a word on any movie, and like handpick evidence Super meta. to support to support like whatever theme you want. Well, like I mm-hmm. could pick confidence. I just like pulled that out of nowhere, mm-hmm. and I could apply it to Pulp Fiction. Mm-hmm. And, like, why confidence is important. Mm-hmm. And, like, the characters who are confident, like, end up surviving. And the ones that, like, are less confident, like, John Travolta, like, they mm-hmm. can't dodge the bullet. Yeah. That's so, like, well, wow, that's well put. Like, my point is, though, like, you could, like, pull a theme out of thin air. I think something about this movie that really sticks out for me, and also based off of the things I've read, is that this movie is, like, far from reality. In many aspects of just, like, style. Like, we go to this wild 1950s-inspired, like, restaurant that is, like, way overdone. Like, like I've, I've been to some wild restaurants in my in my life. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> no, it, it's, like, it's, like, out there. And they're, like, I mentioned, like, a couple times, like, this fever dream aspect where it's, like, it doesn't feel tangible. Like, these characters are, are real, but they're, like, not. And I think that that just has to go with your comment of, like, entertainment and this, like... This is far from reality, and like, and that—that's a. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, like, but it's so realistic too. Like the drug dealer and his wife, like them arguing. Oh yeah, that's, no, that's like, true. So real. I guess I just think about like the characters we're following. Yeah, I get. It's not like realistic in the mm-hmm. sense like, they just shot up a whole apartment and then they're like taking their time like heading out, and like the cops are never mentioned. Yeah, I don't mean necessarily, like, realistic based on just, like, life. I'm just, I don't know. I, I don't know. I just feel like there's an aspect to this movie that's, like, these characters are never really in a real danger. Gotcha. I don't know. Mm, mm, mm. Sleep Mar- on that one, you know. Marvin was in danger, so. Marvin? Oh, Rip <laughs> <laughs> Um, Anything else to add on Pulp Fiction? I think we're ready to move to Jackie Brown. All right. Jackie Brown, 1997. The year of our Lord. <laughs> the year we were born. <laughs> That's why. <laughs> so Jackie Brown's an interesting film. We, This is one that neither of us had watched before. Mm-hmm. And we had really heard nothing about it. Mm-hmm. When people talk about Tarantino, it's always like Pulp Fiction, Inglorious Bastards, Kill Bill. Uh-huh. But no one ever talks about Jackie Brown. And even after we watched it, we like went on YouTube to watch like an analysis or something. And we couldn't there find... There was nothing, yeah. There was like, yeah, little to no videos Which is about him. weird because it's like a really good story. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of really good actors in it. Totally. This movie for me... So I read an article that was like... That said that Pulp Fiction was, was so widely reviewed and all like critically acclaimed like immediately that that like their belief was that Tarantino could do whatever he want with his third movie and I would say like hmm I kind of see that with Jackie Brown like Jackie Brown is is no Kill Bill Kill Bill's very bold like um but Jackie Brown is a little bit it's a little bit of a a softer quieter movie yeah you know and and really heavy on dialogue great great dialogue but I fell asleep during the movie. <laughs> <laughs> if we're 
I'll say this in Kill Bill, but I'll say it now, too. Uh, I'll say it again. (laughs) Kill Bill is like the most Tarantino movie of all his movies. Mm -hmm. I'd say Jackie Brown is the least Tarantino movie of all his movies. Totally. If he was going to make a a normal movie, like Jackie Brown was it. Mm -hmm. And, And even saying that, it's still like a little abnormal. It like features like a single black woman as like the main character. And she's like a strong protagonist mm-hmm. and there's like there's twists and turns throughout mm-hmm. but it's still like kind of normal compared to the rest of his movies totally yeah um so yeah let's just jump right into it <laughs> <laughs> yeah acting uh characters um we don't see tarantino in this movie yeah we don't i'm curious if he's actually in it somewhere though like hitchcock mm I'm not seeing it now. Mm. All right. Uh, but Samuel L. Jackson makes his second appearance. Michael Keaton. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and Robert De Niro is just Robert casually Niro, in this yeah. movie. Who is a sleeper character and then becomes like kind of a big deal. And you're like, oh, my God. like Because he, <laughs> he kills that one girl. Um, but And like again with the casting, great casting. Mm-hmm. But... In the first half, you're like, what's up with De Niro? Like, why is he just, like, a bum that, like, Yeah, you're like... Yeah, it makes you question, like... De Niro was definitely, like, a big actor during this time. You're like, why is he just, like, this, like... Yeah, this, like, low-key character. And... (laughs) I... Samuel L. Jackson's, like, ponytail thing is, like, goofy as hell. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I... One of the articles I read about this movie was, like, that it was so 90s... But, like, but I also, well, there are aspects of that that are very true, like, the rat tail, um, like, hairstyle. Yeah. And, like, some of the clothing choices in, like, the mall, like, being, like, a place where they all go. Um, I also like to still say that this is, like, the Tarantino world still, where it, like, exists apart from with the reality timeline like this could take place at any time because samuel jackson's outfits you could argue are like so 90s but i think that they're just so outrageous but then the music choices are like kind of 80s and there's like funk in there Mm -hmm. and like even the romance or like the not romance between jackie brown and max cherry yeah i feel like that's very 80s as well hmm um I like how subtle that romance is because, all right, this is, so we see Uma Thurman in Pulp Fiction and, you know, she's just the wife of a character. She's very dynamic, has a lot to her, but now you star a female in a movie and you're going to have a love story. Like, hmm, like for today's era, like if this movie came out and it was like forefront love story, people have issue with it. But the fact that it's like very back table. And it's not even really a love, like he's in love with her. But she's just like pulling the strings on him. Totally, and it's and I like how it's uncertain at the end if she was like, oh, I liked Max, or if like she didn't, you know. I think she did. I think so too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I think it's meant to be left ominous because it's about her and it's about her, her taking on her own future and becoming free in the end. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you were telling me about like how she is always in control in this movie. Yes, and it's something you could kind of miss. Because you feel like what you're you're being told is she's not in control and she has to do these certain things. 
but like she knows exactly what she wants and she gets it at the end. Yeah, I want to rewatch this movie because at first I was like, I kind of took Jackie Brown as a character at face value. And I was like, why does this movie exist? Like, she's like not like a very like uh, in depth character, I guess. Like, I'm like, ah, I like don't like she wants all these things, and but I don't understand how she's trying to get these things. And then I like at the end, you're like, oh, I'm not supposed to because she's trying to fool everyone and it works, you know, and. I think that's a really smart dynamic because every point of the movie she's she seems to not be in control. She's in custody with the cops. Like like um uh Marcel wait, no, Marcellus is in the other <laughs> Who is or Ordell. Ordell is like, you know, in control. Samuel L. Jackson's character, like, you have to give me this money or I'll kill kill you. If you're talking to cops, I'm gonna kill you. Like, she seems like she's a victim in this movie. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, she's not. And so I really want to watch it again to give it more credit. Yeah. <sighs> well said. Well said. Thank you. It took me a while. <laughs> <laughs> um, other things, dialogues, really well done. I really like all the scenes with them watching TV. Ooh, yeah. And when you're seeing like these women in bikinis like shooting guns. Mm-hmm. Like, I love that. Like, not... (laughs) I love that. That's what I'm into. No. (laughs) It's, like, so stylized. Totally. And I thought it really introduced the characters well. Like, they're just, like, casually watching this while he's explaining the guns. And Daenerys probably more interested in just, like, the women. Mm -hmm. Which ends up being funny since, like, he and... um, the one girl, you know, kind of hit it off, kind like kind of like it's a, they have a little bit of a weird relationship, and he ends up killing her. You know, like he's not taken by her her charm. Like he's an, she's annoying to him, and so he kills her. And so I think that's funny how they they're watching these girls in bikinis, and then this like gorgeous girl. He's like, mm, I'm done with you, and he just like kills her. And I love and that's a very interesting like. <laughs> he's like, trip. I kind of I kind of killed her, and he's like, kind of. What do you mean, like? Yeah, Ordell's <laughs> like what (laughs) but he's not like you killed her he's like are you sure you killed her (laughs) he's not surprised it's like just a normal day which is kind of fun and 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 how the conversation turns like she was being annoying and then like samuel jackson's like i do what you gotta do yeah (laughs) you had to kill her you had to kill her and you're and you're like damn relatable like wow like i think it's interesting how when she was bugging him you were like you're saying like I respect her, like that's awesome, good for her. But when okay. I was watching that, I was like, "Yeah, De Niro, like take her out. She's <laughs> well, she's being awful." <laughs> but De Niro was also just being. All right, here we go. We're getting into not to dip in the theme, but to dip in the theme. But uh, like, let's compare Jackie Brown and, and Max Cherry to. Robert De Niro's character and that woman, you know, they're kind of both playing a role where they're in it together to get certain things to help each other. And in Jack Brown, she's completely in control, completely in control. And Max Cherry is like more submissive, I would say. Yeah. And then you have De Niro and the other woman like competing for control and it's not working. Like we see that in the department store where he's like grabbing her and it's like, and she's like, you need to get your act together. Like, we're trying to be, like, undercover right now. 
and you're making a scene, you yeah. know? And she's, like, making fun of him in the end because she's, like, like, he really? Like, you're, like, a con man? Like, really? You're a criminal? Like, that was pathetic. Whereas, and then, like, she loses her life because of it. And I just think that's funny because, like, she's trying to be in control of the situation. She's trying to be, like, you're an idiot. Like, what are you doing? Whereas, like, Jackie Brown is in control and she does call the shots and no one questions her. No one shoots her down for it. And yeah. I think that's really interesting. If I dare make no, that yeah, connection. Yeah, for sure. That's what I have to say about that. Well said. Well said. Good job. Yeah. But but style, I guess, uh, to keep moving forward. Not to keep with the... Not to dip with theme yet. Sorry. Um, I guess I didn't touch on theme. It was just comparison. No, yeah. But that was a really good, really good mm-hmm. thought. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, I think the music, I kind of already said this, but we like keep talking about the song across, across 110th street. Yeah. And it like opens with that song and it closes with that song. Mm. And also with the style, like, like he uses colors really well in this movie. Like the first shot is like blue tiles and then she, Jackie Brown dressed in all blue, like walks across. And mm-hmm. by the end when she... Like, her plan's, like, working. She puts on, like, a black suit. And she's just, like, really badass. She's so cool. Even though she's playing, like, a helpless, like, oh, no, what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. So I, I really enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. Um, her relationship with, like, Michael Keaton was really interesting as well. Very funny. Yeah. Like, you couldn't tell if he believed her or not. Mm-hmm. But at the end, like, I guess he really did believe her. Yeah. Hmm. That was good. That is... I love that you brought up color because I think of Reservoir Dogs and I think of... Not necessarily a lack of color, but all their names are colors. But they're all wearing black suits, like which we like continue to mention. And then you have Fiction, which is very vibrant. And I wouldn't say like necessarily by color, but just by story, which I think can be overshadowed by like a belief that there's a lot of color in that movie. But Jackie Brown has a lot of intentional color. And then we move to Kill Bill. Talk about color in that movie. But I still think the Renaissance films are like a little muted on purpose. I think they are muted. They're a little more realistic. Wow. Okay. We're (laughs) analyzing film over here. We're critics. Uh, No, but I just like that you, like, I'm I'm just pointing out that like that, like there's a bump up with each movie with like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to mess around with this. Cause like in Kill Bill, like you can't get away from the intention of color in that movie. Yeah. Like some aspects of it, of that film are, in, are literally in black and white, you know? And so I love how when the movie opened, Karch was literally like, pay attention to the beginning of this movie and the color. It sets the tone, Kelsey. I'm like, <laughs> okay, okay, I'm watching. Like, um, But similar in a sense, it sets the tone as well as just that, that song is being played across 110th Street and it and it's about like, you know, like a woman going to see like her pimp or whatever. And in a sense, she's like, all right, I'm going to Samuel Jackson to give him his money. Like, I'm just like the messenger girl. Like, and then in the end, she's singing that song and, and she's now in control. And that's yeah. just like mm, poetic. And then like, also <laughs> the song that she shows Max Cherry. Oh, yeah. And oh, then like, gosh. he like plays it in the car all the time because uh-huh. he's like kind of in love with her. Right. He is in love with her. Totally. Yeah. That's really fantastic. And I love how it's like a plot point later on. Like Samuel Jackson like makes him drive. And he's like, you like Delphonics? What? Like, that's crazy. 
Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah, listen to them forever. All right, all right. Um, you did mention like this movie's a step up in color, right? Mm. I kind of want to argue that this movie is a bit of a step down and hmm. like the violence and the well, yes, in the strange situations and yes, I agree. Well, I said Pulp Fiction is vibrant though, yeah. like in every aspect of it. Well, I'd still say it's muted. Yes, it's muted and vibrant. Yeah. Uh, it's a, <laughs> it's a, it's a contrast. But I don't know. I just I think about Pulp Fiction and I think about. It's like dark. I think about Uma Thurman's eyes and I think about like, I think about that, that restaurant they go to and I think about, I don't know. I I feel, I feel like there's a lot of color in that movie, but to your aspect of, of realisticness, I know I like said that like Pulp Fiction feels a little bit like a fantasy to me just because of it's all of it's like twists and turns, but to continue with like realism, like these three films are very realistic. Like I think about Max Cherry in Jackie Brown being a Bond. What is he? Like he has this like boring, boring job, you know, but it somehow fits into this like exciting world of, of Ordell and Jackie Brown's life. And that is a really fun, fun ride. But is it exciting? I feel like it's dull. Like they're just like sitting on the couch most of the movie. uh, Like, Watching you, TV. You are just critiquing every comment I have. Well, <laughs> my like, point being, like, you're painting it like it's some like wild ride, but it's not. Well, it's like, I mean, I, w- I would say like getting mixed up with the cops and and someone you owe money to who like sells weapons is like a little wild, yeah. Um, but like, I'm saying, I'm saying like, for Max Cherry, yeah, for Max Cherry. He's like he yeah. is reluctant to help. It's a very different life than he's used to. Oh, he's excited to help. I'm Jackie like, Brown. Yeah, yeah. He's uh-huh. like kind of following her. Like, oh, like good to see you. What can I do for you? He's like, like we're both at the mall. What? <laughs> I just caught a flick, you know. <laughs> um, right. But I, I do think this movie is a step down compared to the previous two. And yeah, I dislike it. Uh, well, I mean, I I like it less than yeah. Pulp Fiction and, and Reservoir Dogs. Like, the structure is, like, pretty linear until kind of the climax a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then I think the ending is kind of awful. <laughs> How Ordell gets shot. Yeah, that's true. The Yeah. That's true. I feel like vi- the violence that Tarantino set up for himself in the first two movies is, like, almost a abandoned in this movie like we see like a build-up of of violence or i would say like or maybe reservoir dogs and pulp fiction are on the same level for violence i would say maybe okay just based off of the ear cutting scene that is a moment of my life i will never get back after watching that (laughs) um and jackie brown is like like you have aspects of violence but when people are shot in that movie there is no linger on their body there's no blood spurting there's nothing you know like and so i would agree with you yeah it's it's muted you get like a a cheap fake out too with jackie brown like pulling the gun like practicing like this is what i'm gonna do and then she doesn't do anything yeah and like on second watching that's not that's not as exciting um yeah ending not not as good 
But I do like the ending with, like, her and Max. And I like how Max is, like... Or, sorry, Jackie Brown asks Max, like, you scared of me? Like, like now? Or, or, or of some, something of that nature after knowing what he now knows about Jackie Brown and, like, how she was in control. And he's, like, you know, he, like... It's, like, funny because he's, like, using his fingers. He's, like, a little bit, like, to show, like, like a little. And, and it's funny because, like... I mean, like, it never shifted. She was always in control. But then you're, like, oh, like, she was calling the shots. And I... I feel like this movie, like, my personal opinion on it, just being a viewer, I feel like it has it has more potential, like, than it like, actually is being shown to us. I guess, like, I wish it was more than it is. Like, I think Jackie Brown is, like, a great character to follow around. And the fact that she's in the control the whole time and, like, oh, she's, like, she's pulling that gun. Oh, she's going to shoot it. Oh, she doesn't. What? <laughs> like, is she scared? Oh, no, she saw someone die. Like, that's nuts. Like, I feel like, I'm like, why does she hold so much emotion? Like, because she's, like, cl- clearly, like, affected by Ordell's death. And I'm like, no, she's badass. Like, what's going on here? And I wish this movie, like, played her up a little more because I feel like she's a pawn rather than being the chess player. Yeah. Well, you're saying you want to watch this movie again. Mm-hmm. And I agree in some aspects, but also thinking back on some of the scenes, I'm like, oh, I don't really want to watch that. No, I actually, I said that, what, like five minutes ago? Yeah, I've actually kind of changed my mind. <laughs> Oops, oopsies. <laughs> but this might be near the bottom of Tarantino's movies. Mm-hmm. But it's still a really good movie. Yes. Have, no, having said all that, we, we've given this movie notable praise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There are just some aspects, as a viewer, I wish I saw more of, especially knowing Tarantino, especially having, you know, we're going through all of them. So we're doing this podcast after having gone up through Django at this point and being like, yeah, Jackie Brown is ugh, not as good. And that's okay. And especially with like Kill Bill coming after this. <sighs> Like, wow. I loved showing you that movie for the first time. Having seen the first part, I was like, hee hee, you're going to love this, you know? And that's, oh, that movie's so... I can't wait to talk about that movie. Stay tuned. But until then, do you have anything else to say about the Renaissance movies? (laughs) Jackie Brown? I don't. I mean, we really covered a lot. Um, I think this is a great, great start for what we're about to discuss. I mean... We were a little all over the place with these movies, but I think it was important to really talk about violence, entertainment, Tarantino as a whole. Definitely. As we took this deep dive into these movies. And even though we talked about these movies in this episode, I have no doubt they'll come back again and again. I mean, we're already talking about other movies. Yeah, exactly. But until then... Until then, stay tuned. Four-part series, let's go. Yeah, you'll hear our scores at the very end. Mm-hmm. And, well, I guess, let's let's rate them. Uh, what's your top out of these three? Like, Oh, Pulp Fiction, easy. I would agree. Yeah. yeah. And then number two? Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, and yeah. then three, Jack Brown. Rip yeah. Jack Brown. But... Ooh. Ooh, Kill Bill will be tough. I don't know which one's better. Uh, oh... I want to know yours. <laughs> Hope you're on that edge of your seat. Yeah. <laughs> well, for that answer and many more, tune in next week. Thank you for listening to this especially long episode. Yeah, thank you so much for listening. Uh, stay tuned. Um, 
Like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram to get all of the behind the scenes on the Tarantino spotlight to come.